tortoise. Hello, I'm Tomini and this is The Sensemaker from Tortoise. One story every day to make sense of the world. Today, why the head of the British Army raised the prospect of conscription and what he was trying to say about the state of our military. That's after a short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If Britain was under attack from an enemy state like Russia, is the draft a daft idea? Last week... General Sir Patrick Sanders prompted a flurry of headlines about conscription and the need for a citizen's army when he warned that the country needed to prepare to mobilise the nation in the event of war with Russia. He said, we will not be immune and as the pre-war generation, we must similarly prepare. And that is a whole of nation undertaking. Ukraine brutally illustrates that regular armies start wars, citizen armies win them. Downing Street swiftly denied that there were any plans to reintroduce national service. But that didn't stop days of sniffy commentary about whether the younger generation would be up to it. There needs to be a shift in mindset among the British public to become more mentally prepared for war. But can we really rely on the woke Gen Z brigade if Putin invades? But whether or not Britain could muster up a citizen army is a bit of a distraction. Serving soldiers and experienced veterans have told Tortoise that General Sanders was trying to start a debate about a much bigger problem, that the British military is woefully underfunded and has been for decades. I'm Vice Admiral Sir Jeremy Blackham. I served for some 40 years in the Navy, during which time I commanded four ships. Vice Admiral Blackham's view of the fighting capability of the Royal Navy is bleak. Although I've no doubt some of my friends in the Ministry of Defence will deny it, that we don't have the ability to fight a sustained war. The Royal Navy is too small to do the things it's being asked to do. Secondly, the fleet is quite ageing. This produces difficulties of maintenance, it produces difficulties of finding spares or ancient equipment, and it means that they suffer from constant wear and tear from the sea, which is not a forgiving element. The Royal Navy has just 30 combat ships, including the ageing Type 23 frigate. It has two aircraft carriers, but no support ships, meaning they can't be rearmed and supplied without help from Britain's allies. That's roughly a third of its size in 1990 and less than a quarter of its average size during the Cold War. But it's not just the number of ships that's a problem. The... Navy is short of people. Recruiting is a problem these days. And Vice Admiral Blackham doesn't think conscription is the answer. It is important to understand that we're not recruiting squaddies, old-fashioned people who are not very bright but could tie beautiful knots. We're recruiting highly intelligent people who can operate technology. Secondly, we're expecting them to do a difficult and demanding job, which is very disruptive of family life. 
and indeed of their own lives, uh, and we have got to be prepared to pay them what is necessary to persuade them to do that. You, you just can't get it on the cheap. In many ways, it's a perfect storm. The small, ageing fleet means crew are working harder for longer. Britain's fleet of Vanguard nuclear submarines, for instance, are effectively obsolete, and the replacement dreadnought subs are a decade away. Submarines are having to spend much longer on patrol, sometimes longer than they imagined when they sailed, because of the unavailability of a successor. There have been patrols, I understand, as long as 150 and 160 days, which is getting on six months. Uh, all of it underwater, all of it without being able to communicate externally uh, or talk to their families. Uh, and in many cases, uh, without their families knowing when they sailed how long they were going to be away. He doesn't see how the Navy can expect to attract the bright, technically competent workforce it needs if they have to spend so long away from home with wages that are much lower than equivalent jobs in the private sector. So in an uncertain and dangerous world, what are the risks? We'll have more after the break. Hello, I'm Jeevan Varsaga. I'm climate editor at Tortoise and host of a new podcast called Counter Crisis from the Centre for Disaster Protection, a UK government-funded international organisation which works to change how the world plans and pays for disasters. If you follow the news, you'll know that more people than ever are in need of humanitarian assistance. War and climate change are affecting millions, but the solutions haven't really kept pace. Finance is key. We saw during the pandemic that the countries that found it easiest to borrow money were the most able to respond and not the countries that were the most affected. Across three episodes, covering disasters, the losses caused by climate change, and our response to disease outbreaks, I'm going to try and make sense of this. Why are the current ways we respond to crises inadequate? And how can we do better? I'll be speaking to experts to rethink the recovery from crisis and find out why pre-arranged finance can help get aid where it's needed. You can listen now. Search for Counter Crisis wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode. At the moment, we rely on the United States to help defend us. But if Donald Trump becomes president again, there's a risk that he'll withdraw from NATO, our most important military alliance. Well, if America withdrew from NATO, I, I personally don't see how NATO would survive, not in the short term. The Americans produced, produced something around half or more of the military capacity of NATO. The Royal Navy's job isn't just preparing for a global conflict. As an island, we're particularly vulnerable to any threat to merchant shipping. Over 90% of our trade arrives in the country by sea. And of course, at the moment, um, the activities in the Red Sea are highlighting just how important that is and how much a risk it is. We know uh, that we face um, a, a potentially expanding, expensive Russia. I mean, that's self-evident. Um, uh, and there's no reason to suppose that they're about to give up on that ambition. Simply spending more money isn't enough anymore. Navies have always been very expensive, but an unwillingness to commit to it. On top of that, a decline in the size of the shipbuilding industry so that we can no longer build ships as rapidly as we used to be able to, 
uh, because, of course, it's not just a matter of, of money. It's a matter of the industrial capacity that we possess, which has to be built up. After years serving his country, when Vice Admiral Blackham looks at the state of our armed forces, he feels, well... I feel depressed. Um, I, I feel that it's not adequate to... Uh, it's certainly not adequate to meet the aspirations of the most recent defence reviews. Uh, and it, it is not currently able to be operated in a way which is particularly conducive to the retention of trained people. General Sir Patrick Sanders' comments have raised the issue of the state of our armed forces, but the response hasn't been the honest discussion he and Vice Admiral Blackham were hoping for. It will take a great deal of effort and good need of support uh, from politicians and others, and I guess a good deal of explaining to the country, rather more honestly than we usually have, exactly what, why we need these people, what the threats out there are. My hope is that in good time, somebody will decide that we have to turn the you know, turn around, turn the corner and start rebuilding it. Thank you for listening to The Sensemaker from Tortoise. This episode was written by Stephen Armstrong and mixed by Patricia Clark. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Jeevan Varsaga. I'm climate editor at Tortoise and host of a new podcast called Counter Crisis from the Centre for Disaster Protection, a UK government funded international organisation which works to change how the world plans and pays for disasters. If you've followed the news, you'll know that more people than ever are in need of humanitarian assistance. War and climate change are affecting millions, but the solutions haven't really kept pace. Finance is key. We saw during the pandemic that the countries that found it easiest to borrow money were the most able to respond, and not the countries that were the most affected. Across three episodes covering disasters, the losses caused by climate change, and our response to disease outbreaks, I'm going to try and make sense of this. Why are the current ways we respond to crises inadequate? And how can we do better? I'll be speaking to experts to rethink the recovery from crisis and find out why pre-arranged finance can help get aid where it's needed. You can listen now. Search for Counter Crisis wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode. Tortoise.